I prefer to be treated like a person, not a textbook. So if I, that's a red flag to me, I, if I'm sitting across from a doctor and they're making decisions on my body and my health, um, from a textbook versus my lived experiences. So that to me is a huge, like, I need to feel like I'm heard and I'm listened to. Um, I also like a doctor who considers like (laughs) intersectionality, like who, who isn't looking at me as like a bipolar person, but who's looking at me and treating me as a, you know, like ovary having person, um, who happens to have PCOS on top of everything else. Yay. (laughs) Um, but all, and like all that matters, right? Like I have PCOS, I have ovaries, I have a period, I have bipolar, I have CPTSD. Like I need someone who is going to take all of this into account when they're treating me and making decisions. I also like to be part of the decision-making. Um, I, I believe in compromise. I believe in conversation. I believe in consent. everyone, welcome to Open Mind Night, a show that talks about everything mental health and mental illness related. I'm your host, Robin Tamanaha. Joining me on this episode is my guest, Karen Ender. She is a model, mental health advocate, and founder of Trauma Tree. Karen was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at age 14, along with CPTSD and anxiety at age 23. Her advocacy style focuses on empowerment and crisis prevention. In January of 2022, she launched Traumatry, a website dedicated to identifying safe, accessible, and inclusive spaces for anyone living with symptoms of mental health disorders, chronic pain, and chronic issue illnesses. Love it. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am. I'm here. <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> I'm a little bit of this. I'm a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, th- I always like to just keep it real and be honest. Cause I think it's important in this space, like, especially with advocates and everything. Um, and I'll, like, I'll even go as far. I, I had like a little chuckle on the inside when you were like, you know, I do focus in self-advocacy and I do focus in crisis prevention, but as someone who is currently in a crisis, <laughs> So it's like, it's one of those things, right? It's important to normalize that it, it's like, it's a, it, it ebbs and flows. So, so happy to be here. Yeah, it ebbs and flows. And I think, um, you know, even those of us who are helpers and givers and we do all these things, like we're human too, right? And so we also go through, um, go through struggles as well. You know, it's true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I have a lot of questions. I, I do want to ask about, <laughs> like the self-advocacy and trauma tree, you know, in a bit, but first, um, for the listeners, could you share, like, I guess let's start with your experience, like maybe like your personal journey and experience when it came to like, you know, mental health, mental illness, what's that been like? Of course. So I grew up in a very mental health friendly family. Um, my, you know, my mother was always very open about mental health. Uh, it, it like runs through our family and everything like that. However, um, I guess that was extended to like everyone else, but me. (laughs) So, uh, you know, of course, like when I, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old and I started hallucinating and I started self-harm, um, I went to her and 
told her about it because I felt comfortable doing so. However, I was just told that I, I was doing it for attention. And uh, eventually I was brought to a psychiatrist who at 14 years old diagnosed me with bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. And I was given medication, but instead of administering it, my mother just flushed it down the toilet. So I would then go um, my, my whole teenage years untreated, unmedicated with bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. Um, fast forward to 23, uh, 23 years old, I had had two short-term hospitalizations um, where I eventually ended up at a long-term care facility called Homewood in Guelph, Ontario. And I was there from September to August, sorry, September to November in 2011. My bipolar and borderline diagnosis were confirmed in addition to complex PTSD and generalized anxiety disorder at this time. So a lot to handle. Um, and then just on, on like, I'll bounce around a little bit. I mean, how can you not? Uh, but <laughs> then, you know, if you even now, so at 33, I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and I say all this because it's all really connected, right? Like the fibromyalgia, the PTSD, the bipolar, like no matter all these different points in time, um, they're all connected through just stress, trauma, nervous system issues, like never having proper uh, healthy coping strategies, never having intervention or support, um, treatment, nothing. And so it, it's, it, it definitely, I liked, I want to mention it because I think if I had, I always think, you know, where would I be if I had received the proper care or treatment or medication um, at, at these different points in time? And I, it's not my fault. Like I, I don't, I, I don't regret it. Everything I did is how I'm still alive today. Um, growing up, it was really difficult, like making, having friends, maintaining friendships. Um, I self-harmed like like you wouldn't believe, um, it was a huge problem. And I was a rapid cycler with bipolar disorder. I was hallucinating. Like I was in high school. Um, so it was really difficult to maintain friends. Like I remember having friends who, when I wouldn't hear from them for a while and I followed up with them, they would just say, well, you scare us. And they didn't want me around. Um, and, I went, I grew up in a chaotic environment. Um, I experienced and witnessed a lot of abuse and then, you know, just life journey, like as someone with this trying to survive, uh, it also experienced a lot of trauma and abuse. Um, so it's a weird thing, but I, everything is difficult. Um, I am someone who lives I identify as someone who lives with chronic pain and disability. Uh, I have always found it difficult to have relationships, to do basic functioning, to have, you know, to fulfill basic life needs, to work, um, to be employed, to seek employment, to remain employed. Um, I, to this day, struggle with 
my bipolar with, you know, I, I have stability, but I still experience depression episodes. Um, I still experience mania. Uh, and for the past four weeks, I've been in a fibro flare up. So it's, and, and I'm always obviously optimistic and like hopeful. I don't think I would still be here if I wasn't, I have a very strong will to live. Um, I've had multiple, uh, suicide attempts. Um, I'm still here, but the, the past week especially has been hard. And I've just communicated to my therapist today and my doctor today and my husband the past week, you know, I just feel like right now I don't have quality of life. And that's where like the self-advocacy and the crisis prevention comes in because I, I, everything that I say, we, but we meaning, uh, anyone who lives with symptoms, mental health disorders, chronic pain or disability, like a, a lot of what we do is in pursuit of a high quality of life. And I don't feel like I have that this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you for, for sharing that. And especially like the timeline and in, in your journey, it's, I mean, I think of, um, you know, one alone, you know, mental health or mental illness struggles, and then, you know, combined with like chronic pain though, like that sounds like super hard, you know? And, and what I hear you saying too, is even, um, you know, what you had started, it comes from a place, right. And it comes from like a personal place that's important because it's something, you know, you had, you had experienced. I think that's amazing. You know, I think it's, it's really hard to, you said functioning, um, with all of those combined, but also even like knowing what to do, where to go. It sounds like you have, um, good support in a sense, like professional and, and personal. Was that like, has that been super helpful or what, you know, you combine like mental health and like, you know, medical like health, like what have you found to be super helpful? Yeah, I, I do. I, I have, um, a wild like support system, a medical support team. And part of it of course is like luck. And then a part of it is strategy because I dedicate a lot of time being strategic about who I bring on my team. And so I am not afraid to leave a doctor. Like if, if I meet a GP or a psychiatrist or a therapist where their approach doesn't work for me, um, I have absolute, I do it so fast. I don't like wasting time. It's like, I secure someone else. I'm like, bye. And that's a great reminder to a lot of people. Cause a lot of people, um, just don't know that if you don't, if, if you don't vibe with your doctor or they're, um, di- like diminishing or hurtful or whatever, um, you can, you can leave, like you can find someone else. You don't have to like stay with somebody. Uh, even though like that breakup can be awkward and difficult, but it really is. Sometimes you just need to pursue uh, like another treatment plan, like, and that's totally fine. So just a reminder to everyone out there. Um, but you know, what doesn't work for me. So I prefer to be treated like a person, not a textbook. So if I, that's a red flag to me, I, if I'm sitting across from a doctor and they're making decisions on my body and my health, um, from a textbook versus my lived experiences. So that to me is a huge, like, I need to feel like I'm heard and I'm listened to. Um, I also like a doctor who considers like 
intersectionality, like who, who isn't looking at me as like a bipolar person, but who's looking at me and treating me as a, you know, like ovary having person, um, who happens to have PCOS on top of everything else. Yay. (laughs) Um, but all, and like all that matters, right? Like I have PCOS, I have ovaries, I have a period, I have bipolar, I have CPTSD. Like I need someone who is going to take all of this into account when they're treating me and making decisions. I also like to be part of the decision-making. Um, I, I believe in compromise. I believe in conversation. I believe in consent when it comes to medications, what you're putting in your body, the decisions that are made when it's time to go to the hospital, like things that you would like done. Like, I believe in all that as well. And so, um, I have curated my medical support team, um, to be essentially like trauma informed. I have a GP who is also a psychotherapist. She's not my psychotherapist, but she also is one. So she has an interest in mental health. Um, and I have like a a nephrologist who trauma informed the GP, the psychiatrist, a rheumatologist, um, my dentist. So I even go outside, like I have, I kind of create a bubble for myself. So my dentist is aware of my mental health issues. And so what does this mean? He just, he takes more time um, during appointments to explain things to me, to reduce my anxiety. uh, And also takes into account my fibromyalgia with my dental care, because sometimes I have pain in my teeth and jaw from fibro. So it's like, he's just has awareness around it. Um, I have a trauma informed a massage therapist who treats my vagus nerve uh, specifically. So I, I go to her for vagus nerve treatments uh, for anyone who doesn't know like vagus nerve and mental health. But uh, sometimes when you have trauma and PTSD and all these things, uh, it can, I, I just say it causes like bruising um, to certain parts of the brain. So like the hippocampus, the amygdala and the frontal cortex. And these things are connected with emotions uh, and processing. And so it's like, when you're someone like me who has gone through extensive trauma and abuse, parts of my brain aren't firing or communicating um, at the level that they should be. And so by working on my vagus nerve, we're helping to strengthen that as, as well as like digestion, um, my diaphragm, breathing, and that kind of thing. So I go to her for mental health treatments. Um, I have a trauma-informed Reiki practitioner who helps with like my energy and my depression and my mania, um, specifically. So it's like, I love talking about it because I think it's important to get people thinking about like where in your life, cause you'd be surprised, like where in your life you can extend this support and why is it important? Because you create like a safer space for yourself to exist in. Um, also, you know, you, you can do these things in between doctor's appointments. So you're like, always receiving, um, some kind of care. And I very much, you know, have made living with mental health, like a lifestyle for me. (laughs) And yeah, so that's, uh, that's like that side of the support in terms of service providers and medical practitioners. And my husband is like my rock. Um, like I can't even don't know what I would do without him. He's my biggest support. Um, and you know, he's seen some shit. And I think it's, it's really important to normalize that. Like, 
when people are in these roles and sometimes they like, they, sometimes they do cross as like a caregiving role, support role. And I think there's a lot of like weird vibes around that, or just even judgment, um, which I like to help normalize as well, because I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And we need to normalize, uh, like viewing or looking at healthy relationships when someone lives with chronic pain or mental health disorders. I think that's important too. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. This is super empowering. And I feel like, you know, what you were saying about the medical realm and like, you know, the medical team and having them um, be like trauma informed. I think that's so important for the listeners to know because everyone's different, but, you know, sometimes we just go off of like, well, you know, there's a specialist and maybe this is their title and kind of going along with it, but not feeling super comfortable I, I myself have a lot of like worries when it comes to medical stuff. And so I, as you were speaking, I even thought about myself, like, wow, like if I did that, I feel like I would feel so much more secure and maybe not so anxious sometimes about things, you know, like having that support that was customized like that, or those that would take into account the whole picture. I think as in the therapy world, that's at least that's what I do as like a therapist, but like, I don't often hear that as far as like your doctor actually doing that and your doctor also, you know, looking at you and like the uniqueness and all the different things that you're experiencing, as opposed to, like you said, the textbook, which I think a lot of people, you know, might, you know, some might experience. So I think that's wonderful that you put that out there for people to know and that it's, that it's okay. And to really consider that because I mean, with medical stuff, there's like so many just worries and like, you know, if you're going through a certain condition, like something like that, like would be just so helpful. And, and I like how it sounds like, you know, saying that it's okay to find somebody else, you know, too, if needed. We definitely put doctors on a pedestal and, uh, you know, like that, that's like my angle with coming with this conversation is, is like your benefit. Like I want, I want every single person who lives with symptoms of mental health disorders to have the support that they need. Sometimes that's not what the doctor they're currently with. Like, sorry, not sorry. Um, there are bad doctors out there. There, like, there are, and we don't talk about that enough. And and or like, you know, I one reason I love my GP, for example. So I had her before I had a psychiatrist uh, when I moved to Toronto, and. So like general practitioners manage general health care, okay? Bipolar disorder is not considered general health care. It is severe mental health disorder. And I have ha- had known people in the past who have their severe mental health disorders or not be diagnosed with anything, but are being treated like they have a severe mental health disorder and they're over medicating and they're being managed by their GP. And it's just like an absolute mess because you know, like maybe they shouldn't, maybe that should be like someone who's, who is focused on severe mental health disorders. So my point is that, you know, for, for a little bit, you know, I would go to her with my, my bipolar disorder things. And she told me, she's like, I can't manage this. Like you need to find a psychiatrist. Like I can't do this, but I respected that. I'm like, thank you for not pretending like you could <laughs> like, yeah, because it's, you know, I, I have known people who their GPs are like treating them for things that they've never been diagnosed with, but like they're on serious medication. And that's where it gets like really, really 
just, I, I don't agree with it. I think that it's harmful and it's incorrect. Um, I had a psychiatrist once who treated me like a textbook and um, just wasn't listening, like wasn't actively listening to me. Um, I was stable, but they wanted to increase my lithium. And when I asked them why they said, because I want to see what happens. And I was like, I'm not a Guinea pig. Like I, you know, there are a lot of like physical things I will feel if we increase my lithium, right. A lot of side effects for your curiosity. <laughs> like uh, I had another psychiatrist who, you know, I felt like I was over medicated on a medication. I had no quality of life. I had headaches. I was nauseous, you know, lethargic. And instead of tapering off of some of it, his solution was to put me on more meds. So another red flag for me. So I ultimately like left both of those psychiatrists very quickly. And now I have someone who is fantastic. Um, but I also realized that like that isn't an option for everybody and it's very time consuming and it's a lot of spoons and emotional labor. So I like also empathize with that, like, believe me, like been there. Um, I just think it's important to give thought, like we need to start thinking about the quality of care that we're receiving from people. Um, and then when you start looking at it that way, maybe you'll be like, huh, I never thought of, I never thought of it that way. Maybe I should rethink this relationship you know, definitely rethink it. If you ever find yourself crying after an appointment, <laughs> that's a huge red flag that maybe this isn't working. Uh, or if you don't feel hurt or listen, if you feel frustrated, or, you know, if, if you feel like you're not getting better, mm-hmm. like those are all signs that maybe you should reevaluate a professional relationship and see if it would benefit you to receive a different kind of care. There's nothing, and there's nothing wrong with that to anyone listening. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Thank you for that. I love how you're like providing so much clarification, you know, too, on things and, um, and letting people know of like other things, you know, to consider. I'm curious about, um, you shifting gears a little with the, you know, self-advocacy, you know, um, can you share a little bit? I, I know we kind of touched on it a bit, like, you know, it comes from a place, but, um, like when did this start, you know, and like, maybe even for like the listeners too, like, how could self-advocacy show up in their life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but part of my like personality traits, when you do those quizzes, (laughs) which I've had many (laughs) the past couple of years, but one of my top five is like justice. Okay. So this is just like a little bit of context. So I move through life and like when, when something isn't right, like ethically, morally, or like if something stands out, I have a really big problem with it and I struggle. And I've always been like that. And as you know, I learned first by things happening to me and me being like, that's not fair. Like I, when I, when I pick up on things like that, but that's just not fair. It doesn't help that I have bipolar disorder. And so I think in black and white at the same time. <laughs> so it's like the perfect storm. But um, when I started advocating, you know, we always say like, you know, you treat others better than you treat yourself. You know what I mean? So when I started advocating and I started seeing things happen to other people, then like I got really upset. Right. And so this is where like my push and like passion for self-advocacy really started was just, you know, looking at this problem of mental health and wanting to help with a solution or just, just 
make it I don't know, easier for it to, to exist in this world, however you want to like look at it. But there's two sides. And I was looking at it as like two sides of a candle. One side is education of people who don't live with symptoms, mental health disorders and helping that stigma and the judgment and everything that goes with that. But I feel like we've been doing that for a while and there's lots of companies who are doing that and it's a slow burn. But then I was like, well, what if like we also started empowering people who live with symptoms, mental health disorders. So then that way the candle's like burning at both ends and then hopefully we reach like a middle faster. And so that's what I decided to start doing. And self-advocacy can make the biggest difference in your life in terms of like how you live with what you live with, um, the, the care, the healthcare, like the physical and mental health care that you receive and the symptoms of mental health disorders, because it's, it's validation and it's empowering and you're giving yourself knowledge. And, you know, like if, I always say if knowledge wasn't so important and if knowledge wasn't so intimidating, then they wouldn't burn books. Like when you know about yourself, your disorders, your symptoms, how to help yourself, what's going on, how to recognize abuse, how to cope with abuse, how to recognize your symptoms, the forms, the different forms of therapy you can do, the coping strategies. When you know all that, it's very hard for like, someone who's toxic to come in and like try and take you down. It's really, you're making it very difficult for these things to happen, to, to feel belittled in a doctor's office, to get discriminated against in the workplace. You're making it very difficult for that to happen because you know more than that other person does. And when you know more, you can do more. Okay. So like I, I designed a self-advocacy workshop and this is, these are the things that it kind of, it touches on because it starts off with education and awareness. I think it's really important um, for you to know about your disorder, read about it, learn about it, join community groups, do peer support, um, join virtual groups, like learn about your disorder because a lot of people, they've been doing it for years more or years less, whatever, but they can, you can learn so much and then incorporate it into your life and see if it works for you. Um, and also of course be validated because validation is a huge part of all this. Um, and then also learn about like what, like when you go to therapy and your triggers and what works and what doesn't work and your experiences and your trauma, like learn about it. I, the easiest one for me to use is like gaslighting, which is like a super big buzzword right now, but I'm happy about it. And for example, if you don't know anything about gaslighting, then you can't identify it when it's happening to you. It, it, it doesn't mean that you're immune to being affected. Everyone is affected when they're being gaslit. But if you don't know how to, how to identify it, it's going to happen to you and it's going to affect you and it's going to affect you deeply. When you learn about gaslighting and you like deep Google dive, like, and you read about what it looks like and how it can exhibit and present itself and what it, you know, how you feel when someone's doing it. The next time someone tries to gaslight you, whether it's a partner or a family member, or in my case, most recently, like an employer, you, you're, you, it's so funny because you're like, oh my gosh, this person is actually trying to gaslight me. The power shifts 
right? And this is what like this awareness and this self-advocacy and this like providing knowledge and education to yourself is all about. The, The power is immediately taken away from this person because it's not affecting you. It still hurts because you're like, I can't believe it hurts me that this person would gaslight me, but you're not in your head. You're not, you don't have the symptoms to the same degree. And you're able to be like, I can't believe this person is gaslighting me immediate power shift. And immediately you are less affected like negatively from it. Um, And then when you, when you do all these things, like especially, you know, being able to identify discrimination in the workplace. A lot of, a lot of times you could be discriminated against and not even realize it, but again, you're feeling it like it sucks and you're negatively affected by your mental health is affected. It's, and you're, you're, it's affecting your mental health, but also your mental health is affected by even the notion of being discriminated against. Um, But when you can identify it, it's like a fire burns in you and you, you could, then you can make a decision. You can be like, no, 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 no. Like I want to pursue this um, or, you know, X, Y, Z, like there's whatever option you decide to go through. Um, same thing in school. If, if you're in school or like post-secondary education and, and you're a student with chronic pain, disability or mental health disorders, if you don't know that you can ask for accommodations then you're not going to ask for accommodations. So it's like, it's, it makes sense, right? Like when I'm saying it, but, but like it really goes under the radar. And so if you don't, like you can ask for accommodations in school. However, if you're not aware of this, then you can't uh, like seize this opportunity. Um, furthermore, if you don't know what accommodations look like in school, you can't ask for them either. Because that's another problem. A lot of people are like, well, I don't even know what I can ask for. Like, that's a huge problem. So self-advocacy is all about like knowing your rights, knowing what accommodations you can ask for and, and then seeking them out. Um, it's, it's also important to know that it's like, you know, I identify as someone who lives with a disability, um, but that doesn't mean that every single person with bipolar disorder identifies as living with a disability. So that's an important distinction. However, in the eyes of the law, you are protected as someone who has a disability, right? In Canada and, and in the States, but um, like human rights code protects people with mental health disorders. And so that's just where it can be like important. So, you know, I have gone to the human rights tribunal before um, for, and like I've gone through their proceedings um, as such. And so that's important to know because a lot of people like, well, I'm discriminated against. I don't know what that means. Again, self-advocacy, you have options, right? You can reach out to an employment lawyer. You can reach out to the human rights tribunal, like the human rights tribunal, that's services that they offer for free for human rights issues, which is under living with mental health disorders, chronic pain and disability. So the more, you know, the more you can help yourself is basically the point of the story. (laughs) Yeah. I thank you for explaining that. And it's so knowledge, right? Having the information and then knowing, you know, that'll help you know what's available, what you're experiencing, kind of what to look out for. I know you mentioned like, you know, school, um, medical, employment, but I can imagine like when someone really starts to get to know more about, you know, maybe their diagnoses, mental health or experiences, I would imagine like 
a whole slew of things opening up on like what, where they can um, do self-advocacy essentially. Like it probably shows up yeah. in like so many areas. It's never ending. You can advocate for yourself on a subway, on a city bus. Like, you know, if you're having a panic attack and you need to sit down and you ask someone, hey, do you mind if I sit here? I'm not feeling well. Like that's, you're advocating for yourself. Um, I had, I had a, a client who they were in a crisis and, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, we well, you need to, they, they didn't have any doctor other than a GP. So I'm like, okay, we well, need, you need to call your GP and make an appointment. She did. And then she called me back and she's like, okay, uh, they couldn't get me in for three weeks, but I have an appointment. And I, and I said, call back. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, call back. You tell them that you're in a crisis and see what they say. She did. She called me back and she's like, I can't believe it. They're getting me in, in two hours. And I'm like, see, so, but she had no idea. She's like, I didn't know you could do that. Mm -hmm. And so again, like it's about educating people and like sharing awareness. Um, so like, you know, when you're in a crisis, my goodness, you need to see not three weeks, like so much can happen in three weeks, but also if you communicate that and see what happens, right. Like, uh, Again, like it could work any number of ways, but for this particular person, it worked out and they were like, okay, say no more. We'll move you. We'll get you in today. And so, um, that's self-advocacy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I see it in the mental health world a lot. Like when I reflect back on, um, like I'm a private practice owner now, but even, you know, when I was working in companies, like there are ways like if someone does like express that, like, no, like, you know, this is going on now, blah, blah, blah. Like we make it work, honestly. So, it, and it sounds like um, you helped her to really just say those words. Like she didn't yeah. know, like you said, like she didn't know it was okay. I didn't know, I yeah. had no idea. And like, and that's, that's my gosh, that's totally fine. Like, listen, hindsight is everything. Mm -hmm. I still have moments where like I reflect on something and I wish I had handled it differently. I wish I had said different things. I wish that I had advocated for myself in a different way or in a better way that will always be there. Okay. Every experience that you find yourself in is a learning experience. And it's important that and every time that happens, you do get stronger, like your self-advocacy gets stronger and you learn more. Um, so don't ever, uh, like, you know, how like punish yourself or like regret, um, something as hard as it may be, or, or give yourself like 10 minutes to feel bad about, uh, an interaction and that how you could have gone better and then just learn from it and promise yourself that you'll do better next time. Because I do believe that we can only do our best in the moment that we're given. And so mm -hmm. just like that is, that stands true, but it's always a work in progress, I guess, but also self-advocacy is difficult. Like yeah. it is, it will be one of the hardest things that you will do. And every single time you do it, it will be different because every single person that you're bouncing these thoughts off are going to have a different personality and a different approach. And I've butted heads with some people before. And, and that is, that's intimidating. It's intimidating. And you, you feel all these ways. So I also, I didn't want to exclude this from the conversation that yes, like self-advocacy is very, very difficult and intimidating and awkward. Um, but it is an important part. Like you deserve to advocate for yourself and these, and you know, the, the, all the little ways that you do it throughout your life and in your day, uh, can really build up. It sounds like, um, like a process. I like how you, you mentioned, like, there's one way where like, Hey, you're asking if like, you can sit down to then the other end where it's like, you know, 
getting a sooner doctor's appointment, whatever it be like, there's like a spectrum of different things and it can even be starting out maybe with smaller steps. Cause I, I mean, this sounds, it sounds hard, you know, and, and scary in some ways because it's, it's new, right? This is something like doing something different, um, responding differently to the challenges that are brought up. So I think um, I agree in that it's, it takes time you know, but even if it's just kind of getting started and it may look one way now and then over time, you know, it may start to evolve into, um, into other ways, but kind of, it sounds like kind of getting that momentum going and, um, and just taking like those, those steps, whatever, whatever it may be or whatever it may look like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So could you, um, talk about trauma tree? I want to know like website, (laughs) everything. Yeah. So Yeah, like everything we've been talking about so far. So it's like wrapped up into a website. So basically, I had the idea for Trauma Tree two years ago, and then I launched it this past December. And it is a website, but at the heart of it, it is a database of trauma-informed service providers and medical practitioners for people who are looking through care through a trauma-informed lens, who live with mental health disorders, chronic pain and disability. And I was, cause I do believe in this. I, I do believe in having care from a trauma informed lens and as many aspects of your life as possible. Um, you know, not all doctors or therapists or psychiatrists are trauma informed and it, there's no like filter for that either <laughs> yet. <laughs> so I wanted to make a website that highlighted them um, for people. And, you know, we are like community vetted operated. So it's like word of mouth, um, or like me networking or, or whatever. And, but also the website has like service providers. So trauma-informed RMTs, Reiki, um, I have trauma-informed house cleaners up there who like specifically will help those who are depressed or have, um, autism or, um, ADHD, like organize their house, find a system that works for them. Uh, and, and lots of services. Cause I always say like, I'm not a cookie cutter. Like I am not a cookie cutter. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't just like, go to like a, any personal trainer or like, even we did IVF last year and it was just a nightmare because it's such a cookie cutter process, but I am not, uh, <laughs> the perfect shape for that. Um, and so there's a lot of people on trauma tree who acknowledge that they're like, you are a person with, with lived experiences um, that may differ from others. And like, instead of no one is fighting you on that. It's like, how can we implement things into your life that will give you a life of quality with, 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 while considering these lived life experiences. And so, um, and there's fitness trainers and like all kinds of stuff on there. And it's forever growing. Like it's a growing database. So that is my goal with that. Um, and then I always like to say the website has many branches uh, because I also have like trauma informed podcasts and Instagram accounts and like advocate influencers that, that may be great for people to fill their timelines with, as well as online support groups, both free and low cost. Uh, cause I, cause I think like a f- uh, accessibility, like fi- fin- financially is really important as well. Um, and then 
I have, yeah. And then I'm always plugging away at things. Like I have my self-advocacy workshop that I launched in March. Um, I, I would love to do more workshops, but that is like the big one right now. And yeah, it's, and it's, it's centered around the whole self-advocacy crisis prevention and having trauma-informed support, because I think that it's like the key to living like with mental health. Um, it's what, you know, it's from all my years of experience (laughs) with living, it's just, yeah, I just, I thought that that it was something that's missing in a lot of conversations. And I joke that it's like, there's no cure for mental health, but like, this is pretty close. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Question. What does the workshops look like? What do Yeah. So the self-advocacy workshop, it is like a three hour, three and a half hour workshop. And it starts off with like the education and awareness component. And then we go, it goes deep into um, like school, workplace, families, medical world, how you can advocate for yourself and examples uh, in each, like each environment. Um, We also talk about healthy coping strategies, um, how to use them and when to use them, which, and like, it's a, it's about in embracing and, and feeling empowered with your decision-making. And like, you know, if, if you find that you're meditating and it's not working, like, don't get frustrated, try something different. Or if you, cause it, it's like, we, and we talk about the steps too, of like living with mental health, you know, the diagnosis, the treatment, the recovery, um, the, the grieving of the life that you had, the acceptance, the validation, like all these different steps along the way and what to expect, which I think is helpful when you're just going through the dark. Sometimes it seems like, um, but also at these different, these different things don't, cause there's so much noise out there and I don't want people to ever get discouraged. And that's my biggest like pet peeve is we talk about healthy coping strategies, but we don't talk about how to use them correctly. And so what ends up happening is that people use a healthy coping strategy and it doesn't work. And they're like, why isn't this working? Like, why isn't it working? Uh, you know, I, I would always think there must be something wrong with me. Like this isn't working. Everyone's doing it. Uh, and then I would discard it and put it in my pile of like, this is bullshit. Um, but I want like, it's the workshop is about getting people to take that healthy coping strategy out of the trash and like, give it a second chance, like brush it off, dust it off, learn more about it. Um, and also like about therapy, um, because there's like, there's talk therapy, but you know, that's, that's the most common one people know. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to, like, that doesn't work for me. I don't want to talk. That's fine. Try EMDR, try hypnotherapy. Like there's literally a massive list of different therapies you can do. So it's all about education, having people make like live smart, not hard choices, um, and also normalization, just like normalization of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. (laughs) That's the, that sounds wonderful. Like, I think that's really, really cool. Um, and it's like the three hours, that's a lot in three hours. I think that's like really good. It's, it's real. It is, it's long. Um, and I remember when I did like a quick test, you know, some people are like, it's long, like maybe you should consider cutting it. But I, I, you can't like, cause I'm like everything in this presentation is useful and helpful. Mm-hmm. And like, pe- it like people need to know. And so 
I just, I'm like, I'm not cutting it. It will just take breaks and it'll be a fun time. Maybe it'll be over two days. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I, yeah, I ran it and a really, really great like feedback from it. So I'm excited to put it off again. And I just think, yeah, we need, we need more, we need more self-advocacy. I, I just think that so many things have affected us and like our ability to live in this world and live a life of quality, feel like we're contributing, feel like we're part of society, part of our friend circles, part of like the workplace, the workforce. And it's, I'm not okay with how things have been. I don't think it's fair going back to my original thing. Like, um, and I, I think like it's an injustice to a lot of people. Um, we weren't taught how to recognize red flags, how to recognize when we're going outside of our window of tolerance, um, how to rec like, why, why, why have we normalized waiting till you get to rock bottom before you get help? Like, that's why I'm so passionate about crisis prevention, because I feel like every single system is set up that we it's crisis intervention. Mm -hmm. And I mean, no one should go there. Like it's awful. It's an awful experience. And I don't wish that on anybody. And so, but we have normalized it. Like we have normalized people going to the emergency room and not knowing what's happening uh, before there's any kind of talk about solutions. And so I, I want to veer away from that. I want us to start recognizing our signs um, sooner and know what help is available at every step of the way. And I'm really, really passionate about that. Cause I think that people who live with symptoms of mental health disorders and chronic pain and disability just deserve more. Yeah. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent. Um, before we end, is there anything I didn't ask about or bring up that you wanted to share? You feel like you would like the listeners to know about? No, I think you've covered it all, my dear. Yay. We, we talk about so much. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do want to say like that it's something you'll always work on. You know, I, I, I come on here and I give my workshop and I'm on my Instagram and I have a lot of answers. Okay. <laughs> and, but the reality is like, I'm just coming off of like four bad weeks and one really, really awful 10 out of 10 pain. Like I had a therapist appointment today. I had a doctor appointment today. I have a psychiatrist appointment in a couple of days. Like it's, I, I, it can happen. And cause sometimes a lot of this is subtle, right? Like, then that's what I'm, it's, it's like, it's when you see signs and you, and you pay attention to them, but it, sometimes when you live with these life and lived experiences, um, things can be subtle. And so it's just another reminder that you have to just be gentle with yourself and, um, allow yourself that time. You know, my therapist asked me this morning, if, if I have been able to grieve, um, like the, the pain that I've been in yet, because like what, what have happened the past week, you know, like, she's like, asked me, have you, have you had a chance to grieve it yet? And I was like, well, I guess not because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and she's like, cause the past week for you has been really hard. And, you know, and, and it hit me when I got home that she's right. Like there is a lot of grieving that comes with living with mental health disorders. Um, it's the life that you could have. It's the life that you want. It's the life you had before diagnosis, uh, life, life opportunities, um, you know, 
I would, I would have loved to go back to school. I couldn't, um, we're trying to start a family. I can't carry a pregnancy. Like we're looking into a surrogacy, like that sucks. Um, it doesn't suck. I'm very grateful, but like, you know what I mean? There's like, (laughs) but there's like that thought process where you're like, I can't. So sometimes you just, there's going to be times where you think I can't do this, insert whatever your, this is. And that sucks. It's super shitty but you, but it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully, cause I have found for myself that by being a, like by self-advocating, it has gotten me help sooner. It has gotten me a higher quality mm-hmm. of care faster. Uh, I have been able to hold my head up and feel validated. I have been able to push back when I know something is not right. So I think those things are really important, no matter where you are on your journey to, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) End rant. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's good. This is all great information, honestly. And very, like I said before, you know, very empowering um, and really important for the listeners to know. And also, so I'll do um, plug in your website and social media, right? So trauma tree, it looks like it's www.traumatree.com dot ca that's the website and then um if you want to check out karen on instagram it's at karen ender and what i'll do is i'll put the links in the show notes for both of those that way um the listeners can just easily click on it if they want to find out more about you or trauma tree or uh, find and also find out some really great resources which is lovely and wonderful all in one i have um i have worksheets um uh, yeah, like I have worksheets, I have crisis response plans. Um, oh, wow. So yeah. If you just reach out to me and I'll send them on over. Yay. Yeah. And if you know of any trauma informed service providers, you fill out the, the referral form. It's like, okay, face with them. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good too. So it can build, build upon it and build yes, the Yes. Make the list. tree bigger. Make the tree bigger. We're love expanding it. Expanding our family tree. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Well, thank you again, Karen, for, for being here and for doing this. Thank you so much. It was, um, it was really great, you know, to have you on. And I feel like anybody listening, no matter whether they're in a journey or they know somebody else, I feel has like multiple takeaways from this episode. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for doing this. Thank you so much for having the safe space and having me for sure. Like for sure. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, take care. Bye guys. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this was informative or helpful. If you think this episode may be helpful to others that you know, be sure to share this episode with them. The resources mentioned and the contact information for today's guests are listed in the show notes. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating. If you would like to stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast and follow the podcast Instagram, Open Mind Night Pod. Also, this podcast is not psychotherapy or counseling. If you need to speak with a professional, you should find one local to you and contact them directly. If this is an emergency, please call your local emergency number or go to your nearest emergency department.